Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within our reach. We're supposed to be seeking it. But it doesn't seem that very many people, including modern Christians, know what it looks like. As a matter of fact, they don't even know the basics of the good news, which we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they aren't really following Christ, yet they call themselves Christians. So we're going to talk about, we always, this is always our topic, the kingdom of God, because we're trying to get people to seek it and to strive, because Christ said to strive and persevere, because Christ said to persevere and to gather together and doing this because we're supposed to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. So we've created a network on the internet that we are hopefully transferring into an actual living network, not dependent upon the Internet, based on the same principles and activities of the first century church, which was a network of people without the Internet. <laughs> they were a network of people without telephones and uh, and uh, train and airplane communication and transportation, but they were a network that reached all the way from Ireland to North Africa to the Middle East uh, and even eventually to the Far East. And the uh, the people who began to follow the way, that's what Christianity was called, uh, formed this living network where as Rome continued to decline and collapse and there were uh, wars and rumors of wars and uh, volcanoes going off and earthquakes felt around the world. All these things happening in the uh, decades following Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians fared rather well. Even though they were only 5% of the whole of the Roman Empire the Roman Empire tried to emulate Christianity under Constantine because Christians, it was working so well, they thought, well, let's do some of what they're doing. It wasn't really Constantine's vision. We write about Constantine and his visions. I mean, one year he has a vision of Apollo and the next year he has a vision of Christ. And uh, Christ tells him to conquer in this symbol of the Kiro. And... Uh, uh he goes about slaughtering thousands, tens of thousands of people, men, women, and children, in the name of Christ, and legalized his form of Christianity. Of course, this took some of the pressure off of the real Christians and what they were doing, uh, because he's... you know, he, he became kind of sympathetic, but he did not legalize the church established by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ had already legalized the church by his crucifixion, his willingness to be crucified, 
and uh, Pontius Pilate, who was the procurator of Rome for a short period of time there, as his father-in-law, Tiberius, grandfather-in-law, Tiberius, was very ill and retreating to an island to recover. Uh, He proclaimed that Jesus Christ was a king in an official Roman document that was nailed to the cross. Not a broken piece of wood like you see on most Catholic crucifix. They always show this little kind of jaggedy broken piece of wood with a couple of letters on it. But it was actually a document written in three languages. And uh, and it was probably, uh, there's evidence that it was carved in ebony wood and covered with plasters so that you would actually see black letters on a white background. And Jesus Christ is king. He was the actual king of Judea. And Rome is even seen defending Christians in the few years after that who were really the government of Judea working daily in the temple. Uh, but it was a, a government that depended upon free will offerings, not forced offerings. It was literally an anarchy by the definition of anarchy, the actual definition of anarchy, which is without archy, without leaders who exercise authority one over the other. That's uh, the word archy has to do with this uh, authority or ruler who has the power to compel. They didn't have the power to compel the offerings of the people because Jesus didn't grant them that power. He said, you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles, who called themselves benefactors because he wanted his church to be the benefactors of the people. But he says, you can't do it by exercising authority one over the other. In other words, they had to provide for the needs of the people through free will offerings. Well, this created a different type of structure that goes back to the Teutons and to ancient Israel, which we call the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And this is where people congregate together in free assemblies. The people are the state, but they are in a state of freedom. All their taxes are what we call tithes, which they freely give to the government minister of their choice. They choose what minister they want to give to. And something spiritual takes place when you try, strive, persevere, in such a system of self-governance without men who are exercising authority. In other words, the, the leaders, you still have leaders. These would be the ministers that you pick. They're leading the way in a charitable form of government. And those leaders are titular. They don't have any authority over you. They're titular in relationship to the authority over you. They can't rule over you. They don't exercise authority over you. But they do have authority over what you give them. Because what you give them is not only freely given, it's completely given. Your claim to whatever they give is burnt up. That's why it's called a burnt offering. So anyway, that's the kingdom of God in in a, a kind of a capsulated form. And most people, most Christians think that they're Christians because they go to church and they sing about Jesus and they say prayers to Jesus and they say they love Jesus. But they continue as workers of iniquity. 
And you can read our article on workers of iniquity at preparingyou.com. And, uh, and we may create another site, uh, also called preparingyou.com. One is Y-O-U and the other one will be just the letter U. And, uh, the idea is to offer to you huge volumes of information that with thousands of footnotes, so you can look it up yourself, as to why we come to this strange, bizarre conclusion as to what the gospel is, which contradicts all sorts of ministers out there who are claiming to be preaching Christ, but have no daily ministration in their churches, not not to speak of anyway. I mean, they might help out people here and there, but the bulk of their daily ministration is is maintained through the temples, the government buildings of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. They do not take care of the social welfare of the people of their church or their congregation or their assembly. There's almost no churches that do that. You you find a, a little bit of that amongst the Amish. But if you don't want to wear a beard or you don't like suspenders, you might take a look at His Holy Church. Because <laughs> we don't require uh, beards, suspenders, or, uh, uh, you know, straw hats, or, you know, that you have to have a horse and buggy. We require that you love one another as Christ loved you. And, uh, and we're, we're full of forgiveness because we know you're not going to do that very well at first. <laughs> so, we know we have to do a lot of forgiving, but people come to the network with and I'll I'll talk about this later, a lot of baggage, a lot of preconceived notions about Christianity and what we're supposed to believe. And they start imposing doctrines on other people, some of which Christ may have said, some of which Christ may have inferred, some of which Christ never even talked about. But people have conjectured these doctrines based on their personal interpretation, what we call a private interpretation of the Scriptures. And they may be right, or they may not be. But the point is, the church's obligation is to preach what Christ preached, the doctrines of Christ, what Christ taught, what Christ thought was important. And one of the biggest things about Christ's church, that he says, I will build my church, Upon the same revelation we see Peter uh, expressing when Jesus says, who, who, who do you say I am? And Peter finally comes up with an answer. And, uh, and Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because you are a Peter, you are a rock. This, what you're saying is a rock because it's based not upon Flesh and blood, upon the knowledge of men, upon, you know, your personal study, but upon the revelation of God in your heart and your mind. And this is, of course, the fulfillment of the prophecy that we see back in Jeremiah, and and, uh, we see it in Hebrews mentioned again, where God is writing upon your hearts and your mind. So how do you know that it's God writing upon your hearts and your mind, and not some other individual or private interpretation or the God's many of the world or some guru 
some spiritual or temporal guru who is going to be doing all this. So anyway, I sent out a little notice to the network through the PCM group, which includes the ministers. And uh, they should pass that on to the rest of the group. And uh, hopefully we'll eventually put this recording uh, with those web, web pages uh, and other subsequent recordings that we make on other radio broadcasts on this topic. And the, the, the subject line of the email that I sent out was about dissolving the bands. And of course that's a, that's a quote from the Declaration of Independence. Which is a, a fascinating document. Uh, and, uh, probably more significant than the Constitution of the United States, which actually was a step backwards. And certainly a step away from, uh, what Christ taught. The Constitution is not a government following biblical principles. Now, a lot of people are not gonna like to hear that. They're going to want to say, this is the best government ever. And, and I understand your vanity and your pride. <laughs> but the fact is, is, I'm not just going to say this idly. We have a whole book that you can download for free that explains exactly why I say the Constitution is not a biblical document. In order for it to be a biblical document, it would have to at least adhere to half of the principles of such a document put down in in the bible it doesn't it it really doesn't adhere to even one fourth of the principles laid down directly in the bible about writing a constitution if you want to create a government that has some exercising authority There's actually a section in the Bible that tells you this is what you need to put in the document if you are going to have a leader or a group of leaders who can exercise authority one over the other. And you need to put these five basic concepts into your document and have your judges, your appeals court judges, your Supreme Court, your priests and your your Levites, read that document every day, apply that document every day to the rulers that you empower with the power. So you, the Constitution w- would be written, according to the Bible, to limit the power of that government. Say so you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, and but you will have power up to that point. And the five things that it says to do, especially in relationship to the power they do not have, none of them, uh, except for maybe one, and really it's, it's superfluous, but w- of the five, four of them do not even appear. The critical ones do not even appear in the Constitution. So how in the world could we say that the Constitution is a biblical document? And I've avoided telling you what those five things are. And you can read them at a number of articles. We just, on the network, we just passed that on to one of the ministers on the ministers group. And, uh, because he was asking where we might have that up on the internet. And of course we have it in the book itself, but 
we have the particular chapter, and I've added to the chapter on the internet so that I've summarized. It's all in that chapter, but I've summarized it uh, in a footnote. So you can look directly at those five basic precepts that you are to contain in a constitution if you are foolish enough to create a government that can exercise authority. And I say foolish because the first time they did this and the first time the king violated those precepts, uh, Samuel said, because you have done this foolish thing, your kingdom will not stand. This is why uh, uh, Saul lost his kingdom and ended up falling on his own sword because he violated just one of those precepts. He actually violated more, but he did violate at least one of those precepts. Um, David started to violate those precepts, but he repented. Uh, Solomon violated every single one of those precepts just about. I mean, he can't, he couldn't do every single one. Well, actually, maybe even, you could, there would be a way that you can construe that he actually did, but, uh, Anyway, most of them he did violate on a regular basis. He he violated all kinds of rules on a regular basis. Everybody talks about him being so wise. Um, and I keep thinking, like, where's the wisdom? Um, but the fact is, a great deal of what went on in Israel was not right. Especially from that point on. Because they had rejected God. That's what it's, Samuel says. They were rejecting God. By instituting a government where the leaders could exercise authority. For 400 years they had a government where the leaders were titular. Now I use that word titular over and over again because it's in the definition of a republic. A republic is where your leaders are titular. means they are leaders in name only, but they do not have the power to exercise authority over the people. They had the power to represent the people, but they would have no power, because they can't exercise authority, they would have no treaty-making power for the people. They could make a treaty, but it, they could not include the performance and duties of the people to fulfill the, the treaty contract. And one of the biggest quotes you'll find in the United Nations is, Servanda uh, pacto sunt, agreements must be kept. And of course, most countries, the leaders have the power to make treaties for the people. The leaders can make a treaty and you have to keep the terms of that treaty if you are a citizen of that particular country. Because as a citizen, you are a subject to those leaders. Almost, you know, a lot of those countries refer to themselves as republics, but they are actually like democracies within a republic or indirect democracies within a republic, or even communist governments within a republic, or monarchies within a republic. And uh, so therefore, or sometimes republics within a mar- monarchy, which is actually a democracy within a republic within a monarchy. <laughs> so, you know, they, they get all these kind of combinations. The United States is not a republic. The United States, according to its own creed, is a democracy in a republic. 
and the individual states were originally were originally foreign countries as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada even after the so-called ratification of the constitution and that's according to Clark's summary of US American law most people are completely unaware of that so anyway Back to the Declaration of Independence. We got that we kind of dissed the Constitution there a little bit, but you can go read the book. It's free. We give things away for free. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that, uh, people, in order to do that, we have to do certain things that some people don't like because we're giving so much of our time and our energy away for free. We have to meter our time. You, you, almost anybody can find my number and call me up. And I'll answer the phone if I'm in. And I will talk to them. But I tell them they need to join the network. And the network is not just email groups. It's congregations. And you don't have to live right next door to the congregation. Because you, we're not, you don't need to actually go to a congregational meeting where you all sit down in the same room. Because of electronics, you can be there on a call, you can, you can Skype, you can do all sorts of things, and you can start seeking the kingdom of God. And then, as we get more and more people, then maybe you can form more and more congregations. We like you to form congregations where you pick ministers as close to you geographically as possible, so there is a chance of you meeting and gathering together. And uh, we go to a great deal of trouble to have ministers traveling around who can go and meet with you. Just like we see Paul, uh, the apostle doing and Barnabas doing and others doing where they were traveling around. Meeting with congregational groups that were performing the task of being a free government. Taking care of one another without exercising authority one over each other. Because... When you force the offerings of the people, it makes the word of God to none effect. When you do it because of faith, hope, and charity, then your offerings will have an effect. Not only will they have an effect on your society, but they will have an effect on you individually. They will awaken you. It will draw you nearer to Christ. And Christ will enter into you. And you will begin to see things that right now... Many of you cannot see. You just can't see it. And we'll we'll talk about that eventually too. Why you can't see it now. But I don't want to attack your delusion too quick. <laughs> so anyway, we're we're going to progress along this. But in, in reading uh, the Declaration of Independence, they talk about dissolving the bands, the political bands, which have connected us with another group because of this long chain of of usurpations that's seizing use where or abuses where they're they're seizing power that was not theirs. Now some men in America could write that Declaration of Independence and it was an actual valid document. Some men in America could not write the Declaration of Independence or sign it because it would not be valid for them because of the activities of America as a republic for over a hundred years before the Declaration of Independence was ever written. That's another whole story. Requires another whole book uh, and explanation. But we're going to go on to where a lot of people are tripping up, falling, 
making a mistake. And it has to do with gurus and spiritual and political guides. And we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, yeah, in, in my article on uh, Gru theories, I actually quote a poem. And I'm not actually sure where the poem originally comes from. I think it's Don't Deny the Truth. And I'm not sure who wrote it. But uh, it, it says in the poem, Sometimes the truth can drive you mad. Because it's so very shocking, egad, especially if you found out that you've been had. And oh no, it's not just a passing fad. Truth can be the very best thing. It goes on uh, about it having a ring to it. In other words, a lot of times when I talk about things, people will say, I knew that. You know, they will recognize what I'm saying. It's not that I'm teaching them. It's that I'm bearing witness to what they already know deep down in their heart. Now, the people who come and want me to teach them, that's not necessarily a good thing because that can turn me into what, you know, what, what it's sometimes called a guru. That could turn us into a, uh, uh, turn us into a cult. And uh, we don't want to be a cult. You already belong to a cult. <laughs> That's the problem. You you belong to the Roman cult. And uh, they don't want to let you out. Most cults, that's one of the things about a cult, is that once you get in, they don't want to let you out. And they do all kinds of things to keep you there in that cult. The golden calf was the beginning of a cult. They, you took all your gold and you gave it to the temple and then they gave you something else to use instead of gold, that only had value amongst the people where you lived. And then they put all the gold into this golden statue, and and most of the city-states called that statue something like the reserve fund. Because it was the treasury. Instead of putting it in a vault with, you know, doors and, you know, cement walls, they would put it into a statue, and then they would guard the statue. Everybody's job was to guard the statue, because that was... That was your one purse, your common purse. Your vat, what you had of value is in that, and now you use something else, and that forced you to only deal with people in your community. It forced you, by circumstance, to only trade with other people in your community. If you wanted to buy something abroad, you had to do that with barter. The wealth of the community remained in the statue. And this was a way of binding people together. And so that's what made it a cult. And, you know, I mean, uh, the Spartans were a cult because it was illegal to own gold. Your, their money was made out of lead. 
because they knew that gold in the hands of the people was the enemy of the state. So they they wanted to bind the people together so they could not go anywhere else or look anywhere else or or become independent of their need for the Spartan government. And so that's that makes it a cult. That's what a cult is. And it's literally cultivating you putting you in their garden where they till you and make you all stand in a row. (laughs) And they tell you where you can live and where you can't live and you have to ask permission to do everything. And it's a certain spirit that creates that. And so anyway, I begin this article on guru theories. Uh, The truth can drive you mad, especially if it means that you've been had. You've been fooled. Because we don't like to admit that we've been fooled. And this is one of the principles of, of, uh, and I just spoke to somebody who called me the other day about this, uh, that you're not supposed to attack the delusion directly of an individual. If they have a delusion, if they imagine something to be true and they believe in that, but it's not true, if you attack the delusion, they will feel personally attacked and they will flee you. Because you're attacking their loved and beloved delusion. So what you have to do is develop a relationship with the individual where they allow you to talk about the delusion, but don't feel directly attacked. Now that's a real touchy thing, especially in when you're, you're counseling somebody on a one-on-one basis. Because you're going to have to talk about the delusions. You're going to have to talk about the uh, psychosis. That which they cannot see. Either because they don't want to or they've they failed to be in touch with reality. And the, you know one of the great things about uh, or, or the powerful things about delusion is that there's almost always an element of truth in every delusion. There has to be some sort of element of truth that anchors their delusion to a reality, but it slightly twists their perception so that their final conclusion, it can now be categorized as a delusion. So, the problem is, is that we are all suffering from a certain amount of psychosis. We can't see the reality around us. And But we can sense it. We can feel there's something wrong. You know, the splinter. There's something wrong. And we need to address that. And so we go about looking for somebody who can help us because we know there's something wrong. Well, unfortunately, predators and charlatans will take make use of the fact that you have been incapacitated to some degree with your psychosis, your inability to see reality, and you have been somehow or other had or deluded uh, so that you now find yourself in a terrible place or a place you do not like. And now as you begin to wake up, you look for somebody who has answers, somebody who is going to be your Christ, your, your anointed person with answers who will offer you a solution in Christ's case, we call it salvation. But any kind of a solution is a salvation from your dilemma. 
So, you know, we use words like solution and salvation. you got to remember these words are almost totally interchangeable. We use, you know, we use one over here in the political arena and we use this other one over here at church. But the reality is both solutions and salvation are the same thing. And if you have a problem, there is a spiritual base to that problem. And there is a physical manifestation of that problem. And the solution is your salvation and the salvation is your solution. You don't want to separate them. You know, when you separate the spirituality of a man from his physical state, that's called death. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) When the spirit departeth, the body lives no more. So you don't want to be separating these things. You got to realize these are connected. These bonds you do not want to separate. (laughs) These bonds you want to deal with together. And this is where a lot of people are screwing up, is they're separating these bonds, the spiritual bonds, from the physical bonds, and they're trying to eliminate the consequences of the physical bonds without dealing with the spiritual bonds. It's kind of like the guy I knew who was going down and taking chemotherapy at the local hospital. But he he stayed in his motorhome in the parking lot so that he could go out and smoke while he was taking chemo because he wouldn't let him smoke in the hospital. Well, he's dead now, of course. But uh, he he did not want to separate what he liked from what was killing him. He wanted them to remove the consequences of his error without stopping the error. And, of course, this is this is where a lot of Christians fall down is because... They want to have salvation without repentance. And this is where most of the preachers fall down, is they're not explaining to the people what it means to repent from being workers of iniquity. You know, you have to repent from your covetousness in order to be saved. You have to forgive debt. We forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. A lot of people want to get angry at the trespassers. They want to shake their fist at the trespassers. They want to uh, overcome the consequences of their trespassers, but they don't really want to forgive them. And so, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna bring that into uh, some sort of visual picture. But I go on to say the word guru is a term uh, for teacher. Uh, but it's also used for master. And you actually see the same thing going on in the biblical text where they take a word and they'll translate it, you know, like rabbi, which means teacher. And then they'll translate it master or lord or several different ways. Well, a teacher isn't necessarily a master or lord. He's just someone who's telling you something. But... The, the word guru actually has both senses of teacher and master, at least in the Sanskrit. But Sanskrit is one of those languages you can make it mean anything you want, again, uh, which we've talked about before when dealing with language like Hebrew and Sanskrit, etc. 
particularly found in, in the Indian religion that this word guru shows up, but it has been Americanized. I mean, there were Hindu gurus. The, the Shishya uh, tradition is this oral tradition or religious doctrines or uh, experiential wisdom transmitted from teacher to student, you know, where you have the, you become the Padawan of some teacher. Um, and you become his follower. And uh, we do the same thing, and we don't always call it a guru, but that's what, what the word has this connotation of, this guru concept. Uh, appears in many levels of society. Doctors are gurus. I mean, people, you know, the doctor says, do this, take this, swallow this, uh, lay down, and I'm going to cut you open and fix this. And everybody does what he says because he's a doctor. He wears a white coat. You know, and he supposedly went to medical school and we have a certain faith in him. Even though we know that doctors kill people every day. They kill more people than guns. Um, we have this kind of blind faith that they're, what they're telling us is right. And and sometimes it is a good thing that they're telling us. And, and they have tremendous power and, and accomplishments. And we always hear about how so-and-so went in and got an operation and just fixed this. And everybody tells you about it and everybody repeats that witness over and over again. But a lot of people don't want to talk about the millions of cases where doctors have killed people because of mistakes. And, of course, we hear about, you know, they he amputated the wrong leg, you know. You know, and you have this deal where a guy was going to have a leg amputated and they he wrote on the leg, this is the leg, and then he pulled up his... Uh, hospital gown and wrote on the other one this is not the leg <laughs> and uh, just because they had heard of the stories where doctors had made a mistake you know is that my left facing you or uh, but they make these mistakes and, but yet we still have this tremendous faith in them and we have that faith in them because we are afraid not to have that faith in them we don't really trust in God, and so that we therefore we make gods of men. Lawyers carry this same prestige amongst many people in the population. They think, well, I can, I have to have a good lawyer do this. I have to have, you know, uh, you know, they're psychiatrists. They they are putting their faith in other people because they're supposed experts, and they have to because they're not. They have to put their faith in somebody. And they're not really putting their faith in God because they can't see God. They, they are, God is not a visible, uh, thing. But then we go back to what Christ said, th- that he's going to build his church not by the, the revelation of flesh and blood, but by the revelation of the Spirit. So, the idea of having faith in this unseen God, is is very challenging to people. So they invent God. They invent an image of God in their minds. And, uh, you know, that's that's what they call, you know, idolatry. Except for a lot of people want what a lot of people want to limit idolatry to, you know, you 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 build a statue and then you fall down and, you know, like uh, the golden calf and then you all oh, fall down and worship that statue. 
But the reality is, is all idolatry is, is that you create an image, whether it's in your mind or you actually make a physical image, it doesn't really make any difference. The principle applies. And, and we see that same message in Christ. If you, if you want to commit adultery with this woman, you've already commit, if you lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Well, it's the same way with idolatry. If you are creating an image of Christ on your own, you're inventing Christ in your mind, then that's idolatry. Well, what we do a lot of times is we say, this person has a solution, that person has a solution. And what we're actually saying, and this is the reference in the Bible, is that many will say that the Christ is here. Or the Christ is there. Now, they may not call him Christ. They may call him the solution is here. The solution is there. And people will go after him. And that is not the solution. The kingdom of God is within you. That divine revelation is going to come within you. It's not going to come from some physical external source. Which takes me back to where I said... When I I talk about the truth, people need to recognize it rather than have me teach them the truth. I worry when I hear you echoing my words back, but not doing what Christ said. That worries me because you're making me a guru. I don't want to be your guru. I want Christ to teach you in your heart and in your mind. And I bear witness to what he's teaching me. And if we can walk together, congregate together in a free assembly, I want to do that. And so that takes me back also to we do things different than most of these gurus. We don't sell all this stuff. You know, we don't, you know, I don't charge $100 an hour for consultations. That's what uh, Mark Stevens charges, $100 an hour for consultation. He'll take it in Bitcoin. <laughs> and other trades, but that's what he charges. I don't charge anything. People call me up and I talk to them. But I warn them I cannot keep doing that because I have. there's only so many waking hours in a day. I have to get at least... If I don't get at least four hours of sleep a night, I'm in trouble. I can get by with five. Occasionally, you know, I'll sleep and I'll get six hours. But other than that, I'm working most of the time. And you guys are wearing me out because you're not congregating together. People want me to consult with them and help them and and teach them. And they complain when I say, well, you need to get in a congregation, talk to your local minister, and then he get on a conference call with us and we'll talk together with that minister, me and you. And maybe other members of your family or people you're having conflict with, whatever. And they complain that, we're not worthy of being taught these things somehow. No, I'm just human, that's all. <laughs> I have to meter my time. And so that's why we tell you to get... And, and why do we do that? We don't charge $100 an hour or $50 an hour or $20 an hour or $5 an hour or 10 cents a minute or any of these figures. We don't charge that. We just want to help. We want to be of service. But we want to strengthen the poor. Now, we know you can't get stronger 
as a free soul under God unless you follow the ways of Christ who came to serve. So how do you come to serve if you won't gather together in a congregation? I have people who are looking for that perfect congregation with the right kind of people in their congregation. Boulder Dash, you don't want perfect people in the congregation. If you had perfect people, they wouldn't let you in anyway. But you want to take people who are not perfect because that's opportunity knocking at your door to forgive and give and to strengthen the poor. You don't want perfect people. You're not going to get it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. You want to gather with people as physically close to you as possible. And that's why we created a network in the way we did. Is that when you do that, you have more opportunity to actually be of service to those individuals. It doesn't matter if they're perfect or not. I mean, to them it matters. <laughs> it shouldn't matter to you. Because you're going to take whatever God puts before you and love the hell out of it. And I mean that literally. That's how you do it. That's how you drive out demons is you love it. But you have to love it with the love of Christ. Then, then you will drive out the demons and their, their, their problems, their delusions and, and you have to be there for each other. Not because they're cute, not because they're smart, not because they're nice, but because that's who God has put before you. I mean, it's the same way with children. You don't, you don't get to pick and choose. You get the kids that God gives you. And you have to love them and nurture them and try to raise them up in righteousness. And it's, it's no different in the congregation. So all the congregations should be based on geography. Not upon your personal likes or dislikes. It, you have to remember these are free assemblies. You're not pooling your... You know, you, you know uh, in a contractual way, you with these others and getting voting representation within a corporate body. Congregations are not corporate. They're not even unincorporated associations. They're free assemblies. We explain all that. If we make or hold someone up as a guru or an expert, what they say takes on a validity in our minds without actual proof or verification. It can, it can take on an almost sacred aura of validity which may be entirely unwarranted. While a guru may be defined as a teacher or guide that you trust, they may not all be as trustworthy as we would like to believe. And that's what you... As a matter of fact, when you make somebody a guru, you tempt him. Because you're giving him power over your thinking. He says, so therefore it must be true. It has greater validity. If anything anybody says has greater validity because that person said it, that's dangerous. You need to you need to consult the Holy Spirit in your own heart as to whether or not it's true. And before you can come into one accord, you don't come into one accord by checking your brain and your heart at the door and saying, whatever you say, I'll believe. Obviously, you don't usually 
come on that strong. But, I mean, we do this in little subtle ways. To hold someone up as an authority on any subject is to give them a position of power. And power corrupts. Yet such positions of power and influence is it, it, are commonly delegated. Both emotionally and even legally by people who claim they want to be free. Despite the truth that such positions of power are in fact every dictator's delight and every con man's communion. What's a con man's communion? That's it. That's his bread and butter. When he sees somebody who who wants to believe what he has said before he even opens his mouth, he he begins to drool because <laughs> that's bread and butter to him. And anybody selling the truth is probably a con man. Conning themselves first, and then conning their victims, their clients, their customers, second. You have to con yourself first. And there's a little con in all of us. Because we can't handle the truth about ourselves, even more so than handling the truth about others. We see people joining several groups on our network in order to be heard or be accepted. Uh, I would encourage them not to do that. But anyway, we're going to have to continue these thoughts in the next show. Right after this brief break. So stay tuned. We're going to get into some meaty stuff here. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about these uh, gurus and spiritual or political guides or even medical guides. Uh, uh, you know, the medical society really is is gone off track as far as some of the very basics of healing and cures uh, from time immemorial. Diet is one of the major causes of unhealthy bodies today. And if hospital food doesn't kill you, the doctor will. <laughs> uh, there have been people on death's door. I mean, really couldn't move, couldn't lift their hand, could barely talk. And they were the doctors had given up hope, said it was only a matter of hours, maybe days at the most. And the... Uh, and the, the the spouse and, and children immediately took their sick uh, parent off of the hospital food. And the only thing they did was bring in food that they prepared. And, of course, it was all healthy stuff, very healthy stuff. I mean, it was designed as part of a cleansing uh, return to... Uh, a healthy diet for somebody who's deathly ill. And there's lots of them out there. They have certain patterns to them. And within three months, this guy was back at work. And he the, the, the change was almost immediately. Now, was the, was the uh, hospital food actually killing him? No, it was his diet was not allowing his body to begin the natural process of healing. It was feeding the disease, and the hospital diet was a part of that. It was it was probably worse than his diet at home. And uh, these these are miraculous. I mean, over and over and over again, there are countless stories of people who simply change their diet either because they changed their location or they did it by design, and cancers went into remission and disappeared entirely, shrank away and disappeared, totally cancer free. And had no other treatment other than the fact that they changed their diet. Now, there are a lot of other things you could change as well. But the point is, is that medical society doesn't hardly see this anymore. Yet the statistics are, are getting to become rampant. Uh, as, uh, and they persecute those who suggest such a thing. No, the only way is chemo. <laughs> Radiation. Uh, no, it's not. There's lots of other ways. And we share those on uh, preparing you and a lot of other things. But you have to kind of look and find and be led by the Holy Spirit. But the idea that we're trying to share you is there are alternatives out there than what you're being fed by your present gurus. We don't want to become your guru. We want you to follow the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, to hold up someone as an authority on any subject is to give them a position of power and that power corrupts. I know lots of people who have been held up as gurus and geniuses because they have lots of pieces of a very big puzzle. puzzle. But they have no real solution. They're smart. Like I say, they're intelligent. They And they know a lot. Uh, and some of them have already been driven mad 
by what they know. But uh, they don't really have the solution. And again, remember, solution and salvation are really the same. Salvation is a solution and solution should be your salvation. Although most solutions are not your salvation because they aren't really solutions. Because they, people want to dissolve the consequences of sin without the inconvenience of stop sinning. <laughs> that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Uh, the, you, you will stop sinning when you're dead. <laughs> because you have separated the bonds which connected you to your spiritual reality. You, you may be able to sin even in your spiritual reality alone, you may, but you won't be able to physically sin anymore because you're dead. You do not want, you have to be careful of what guru is going to perform this surgery on you to dissolve the bands which have connected you. Because the devil's solution is to kill you. That's where he gets his ultimate power over your spirit. You have no other alternative. And he will suck you down into his realm. Into his dog-eat-dog, bite-one-another realm of control. But anyway, they are often coming, uh, uh, people are often conning people out of their money, uh, and or teamed up with other people who are believers to promote their personal material. And, uh, for a number of reasons, sometimes for a financial reason, but sometimes just for emotional support. People want to follow a guru and they want other people to follow the same guru. It's like going into a bar. Everybody wants you to drink in a bar. They don't want you coming into a bar and ordering milk. (laughs) Unless you're the designated driver. They want everybody to be drinking like them. It makes them feel secure because we're all doing this together. Many of these people are simply repeating things that they have been told or, 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 you know, read somewhere. And, and they want to believe what they have accepted as true is true. And one of the ways to get the moral support to do that is to get other people to accept that they're true. And if it doesn't work for the other people and they end up in jail and they lose their home and they lose their car and they lose their family, well, it was because he didn't do things right. I'm not even going to mention some of the people I've known that have been selling how to, you know, get your property off the tax rolls. A guy in Pennsylvania was selling a packet. Originally, he sold a packet for like $10,000, land patent, all this kind of stuff. He says, I have never paid taxes on my property. I have this large acreage and everything. Well, no, he didn't. But his family went down and paid the taxes every year. He never paid them. But they weren't off the tax rolls in any way. And all you had to do was look that up. You know, get a hold of the local county. You know, you knew where the property was. You get a hold of the local county. And you find out, oh, well, wait a minute. No, those taxes are paid every year. They're paid by his dad or, in another case, by his mom. And the, the property wasn't off the tax rolls at all. But he was selling packets. I mean, eventually the packet price went all the way down to $600. But... um 
originally they started at ten thousand dollars, and uh, so there's I. I, I could almost guarantee that he sold over a hundred thousand dollars worth of these packets easily uh probably more than a hundred thousand at ten thousand you don't only have to sell ten you got a hundred thousand dollars um if you're gonna lower the price to a thousand bucks you have to sell a hundred to get a hundred thousand dollars well, in this age of internet and with all the BS that he was putting out, he probably sold easily a hundred packets. He probably made closer to two or three hundred thousand dollars doing this. But he's, he wasn't looking for a million suckers, just enough so he could take off somewhere. And he was getting it. And when we exposed him, and I mean, what it took, it took a, a matter of like a couple hours, you know, a couple phone calls and county clerk and all that kind of stuff. And, and you had the evidence right there and we had them mail us the evidence, you know, make a copy. And we paid a few bucks and make the copy or somebody didn't and they made it. And then we presented the evidence and people hated us. They, I mean, we, we had attacked their delusion. They were mad at us because we proved that this guy has been lying to you all along about all these things. And they hated us for this. Now, I'm sure some people were appreciative, but they never showed that appreciation. I mean, nobody ever sent us any money for our trouble <laughs> or the expense that we went to to save these people. And and the people that were, you know, they always had this money back guarantee. Everybody I know who had the money back guarantee, they never got the money back. And we asked them to write a letter of testimony testifying that they had paid this guy 600 bucks. And they weren't getting what he said and wasn't panning out and he wouldn't refund the money. And they wouldn't write the letter. Because they were embarrassed. And this is... This is, con men depend on this. Now these guys were actually totally con men. And they were, and they changed their name and they did the same thing again a few years later. You know, and we pointed out that these are the same guys that we exposed over here and, and, and people didn't want to hear it. You know, the people who were putting on a seminar, when we saw they were putting on a seminar, we pointed it out to them. They didn't want to hear it. That, that we were naysayers. No, we're not naysayers. We're telling you the actual facts. <laughs> the truth. But that's, they wanted to believe these gurus, these legal gurus. And so the, the, there are those total out and out charlatans wandering around there. I can't even remember his names. I have to say names because he went by a number of different names. And he had a couple of different guys with him that They've gone out and done the same thing with lesser uh, success. I don't know. They may be very successful now. But we don't play any part of that. We do have people come on to our, our network groups and have the same conning intention. And we quickly expose them and they go away. Um, but there there's all kinds of predators out there. All kinds of con men out there. And they are suckering one person after another and in many different ways not always for money and we try to expose that but in order for us to do that we know you have to actually 
congregate you know, in these free assemblies. For If we're going to take the time and the money and the energy to expose the error, the deception, the fraud that people are bringing to get all sorts of things out of you, you know, financial and, and uh, less pure uh, uh, compensation <laughs> uh, out of you, you have to come with a humble heart to help others with the intent of sacrificing some of your time, your energy, whatever, your resources to help others. You don't have to give a lot, but you have to give something. And that's where we begin. Is that you have to give something. And, and this this idea of sharing the truth with those who are also seeking to share with other people and confess their error, at least to themselves. And that's what repentance is all about. You have to realize that what you've been thinking is wrong and that you need to think a different way. That's repentance. That's the people we want to spend our time with. We're not going to be going out saving people who don't want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we need some evidence that you actually want to do that. And then we will... uh, uh, We say that as a policy, but the reality is we're always spending time on people who haven't shown us a darn thing. They just showed up. We figure, well, God... But they quickly leave if they have no interest in actually following the ways of Christ. And we know we're always going to have lots of people who come with their own agenda and their own baggage to the network. But we're not interested in helping them carry their baggage. we, We want to help them set it down to let it go. To dissolve the bands, the chains, which have connected them to their baggage. And how do we do that? Well, for one thing, we have to make them aware of the baggage. That thing which is dragging them down and interfering with their uh, the relationships that would allow them to grow. And, and that's what I did when I was talking about congregations. You're not looking for the perfect congregation. You want imperfect people in your congregation so that you have somebody to forgive. And somebody to be patient with. And some people to struggle with and help. Because that's how you grow. So that that's part of the deal. And that's how you develop trust amongst one another. And there will be people who come and go. And then come back again. You know, after they calm down. <laughs> and they work together. And it's important that there is physical contact. So even though you may join a congregation where some of the people are very far apart, your goal is to expand that congregation until it's 20 people, and then you split it into two separate congregations, based, again, mostly on geography. Because then you start, each congregation becomes a closer, physically closer network. But always, since we're seeking the kingdom, we're not seeking the congregation of God, we're seeking the kingdom of God. Our congregation must continue to care about the congregations to the left and right, in front of us and behind us, 
as much as we care about our own congregation. This is a basic principle of a free government. You cannot just care about what benefits you. You must love those who don't even know you. What grace have you if you only love those who love you? In your local congregation, you must love people in other congregations. This is a precept of a free government. And this is, this is early Christianity. They're, because they understood the basics, that they were the social welfare of their society. To them, we the people, was we the people who follow Christ who do not covet our neighbor's goods, but gather together to serve one another. And those that have, share with those that don't have enough. And next week, maybe those that didn't have last week will now have, and they will share with those that shared with them. At least that's the hope. Because see, we we operate by faith in Christ, hope in the faith of others will be there through Christ, for us and by charity not by force until John the Baptist everybody wanted to use force see Billy Graham and and uh, you know I was trying to think of the other names there's I mean there's a gajillion ministers out there Hagee and and uh, I can't remember some of these guys names they just don't stick in my head but so just all these nameless ministers these successful ministers which of them have a daily ministration in their church? Which of them do not send you to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other to obtain your social welfare that is actually, although it was meant for your welfare, is a snare? Now, I'm quoting right out of the Bible here. Christ said it was not to be that way with us, but it is. So this, you, you, but the fact is, is most of these guys now out there, and we're going to talk about some specific ones here. Uh, there's, there's quite a few. We're kind of iconoclastic always. We've tried to explain that through, uh, you know, that though we may seem iconoclastic, our real intention is to help not hurt the individual. In order to do that, we have to shatter your delusion. And, and like we did with the guys who were claiming that they could get your land off the tax rolls. I mean, I don't know how many times people have claimed that. Or they can get to dissolve debt. Now, there are things that you can do when the debt becomes oppressive. But you have to do this in a righteous way. And And there are things that we, many of the people within the network know and they can share with you. On a personal basis. But we're trying to get you to return to the solution of Christ. And in the solution of Christ, you will find ways and means to accomplish, you know, to to eliminate or dissolve or de, uh, uh, decrease debt. Uh, to uh, obtain success in business. And independence in business. And health. We have all kinds of people who know all kinds of things about health that will help you. At no charge. Uh, consultations. Not at $100 an hour, but out of love. 
Which one do you think is really going to help? The guy who's turned everything into a mercenary venture? Or the guy who actually is... You know, Jesus didn't make money by selling tickets to the Sermon on the Mount. And that wasn't just because, you know, know, because he was wealthy at one time. He gave all that up. And all the Levites, all the ministers of the early church had to to give up their personal wealth and own all things in common. This was, the, this was the, the church, the ministers who did this. Their job was to return every man to his possession. They weren't trying to get every congregant to become some sort of communist society. They were to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family, which meant that his family could inherit what he had. When he dies, his children would get what he had. Today, the world is moving away from that with inheritance tax. There's actually proposals that there is no inheritance whatsoever in the United States. When you die, everything you have goes to the state. Your kids get nothing. That's There's people actually proposing that. They want that. That will kill total incentive. Nobody uh, struggles for 20, 30 years, 50 years to build a business that is just going to go back to the state and his family has to start over from scratch. They just don't do that. But that's the direction that the world is going to want to go. You can resist it. But look, you can't even get to decide who goes into your bathroom. (laughs) You don't have any power anymore. You're not a free nation anymore. And why? Because you have chosen to either take the liberty away from your neighbor, to take from your neighbor for your personal benefit, or to simply neglect your obligation to love your neighbor as yourself. You are slothful in the ways of Christ. And the reason we were on to create this free assembly, this network of free assemblies, is so that you can become strong in the ways of Christ. Strong in the ways of salvation. Strong in the ways of the force of Christ. Which is the power of love. There, there's a, we had a number of things in our article on, uh, which you can read at preparing you guru theories. You know, I, I brought up a few, you know, the UCC, uh, redemption, uh, type stuff and we have articles on that, separate articles on that. We've had people bring up the Nasera stuff and, uh, you know, the crown owns everything. And the thing is now, all these ideas have some truth to them. Always do. And because that's how you really, I mean, you, when you want to catch fish, you bait the hook. But you try to bait it in a way that the fish doesn't recognize the hook. And and again, remember, a lot of the people promoting these things are sincere. Because they've are the best uh, gurus get a following that actually believe what he's saying and then I mean these guys who have the deals where you know they're going to have this offshore investment and if we can get together a quarter of a million dollars or a million dollars we need uh, you know so many investors and then you will get 20 30 50 percent return 
And everybody, I've seen this so many times where the guys invest their money and that everything disappears. They lose everything. And they will fight and argue that, oh no, it was honest, it was sincere, everything. It was some other deal that came along and stole all their money. Totally. And they get suckered into this time and time again. Uh, generation, I've been around a long time. I've seen this for decades going on. And they will, they will not admit that the guy was a con. Because a lot of times the guy that they were dealing with actually believed it himself. He was suckered and he believed it. And then he got you to believe it. And you, because you trusted him. But he was believing somebody else who was believing somebody else who was somewhere or somebody was lying because this, this keeps happening. They keep losing the money. And they got all kinds of reasons why, you know, that we do, they do this all the time and, but people want to believe it. And so they go on. So the same thing with this, you know, we all still belong to the crown. And like I say, there is some truth. I've written a lot about this uh, over the years. Larry Beecraft has written about it. And uh, I don't agree with Larry Beecraft on a lot of things. I used to refer to him as Larry B. Crafty. Uh, but the fact is, a lot of the things he says is true. You know, nobody says nothing but lies. Everybody, you know, and he has expertise... He lives within a certain realm of understanding. And within that realm, he is often right. We're trying to take you into the kingdom of God. You know, I I knew George Gordon personally. I knew Bob Holstrom. He used to come here to the house every time he was in the country. And he would stay here uh, at the church. And uh, we would have very honest, because I didn't agree with him on everything either. Very honest, very frank conversations. And he appreciated it. I wasn't following him. He wasn't following me. We 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 shared just camaraderie. And I disagreed with him. He often disagreed with me. Now, David Merrill, I've had lots of conversations with him. He's another one of these Crown Templar guys and promoted that. I mean, he goes by David Merrill Van Pelt. He also goes by uh, weird, weird names. S-F-8, B-F-8. K-A-D-V-P, I don't know all what. You know, the guy is a mental case. He's still a living human soul. Care about him. But he's leading people in in craziness with lots of elements of truth in what he says. But if you listen to him long enough, you'll start seeing this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. But yet, People are being distracted. What we want to see is the the whole truth and provide for it like Patrick Henry said. We want to know the whole truth and that's where we need to go. And we'll go there after the break. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, so a lot of these gurus, uh, they may be con men, they may be self-deceived, they may be literally crazy. Um, 
you know, one was actually uh, doing most of his writing. Uh, brilliant individual uh, eventually thought that his paperwork cured SARS. I don't know if he had to rub it on you or what, but uh, he and, and was seemingly working from a mental ward. And you know, I tracked down his address, and it was a private mental ward. And it, I'd seen pictures of the room that he stays in, and it was it was a <laughs> he, he was captive there. Um, he did get out from time to time, uh, but uh, he was getting into trouble all the time. Uh, but he was, and, and the problem was, a lot of people were listening to him and following because he was so impressive. Uh, could type extremely fast uh like i said his brain was extremely active but he was delusional he was crazy and uh but anyway we talk about that a little bit in the article but uh a lot of these uh guru constructs and theories all like i say always have a certain amount of validity or truth to them but they are not taking you to the whole truth and we need to find the whole truth and provide for the whole truth uh and but but the problem is is that the the damage is often done by these people because people want to believe them, and they want to believe them either because of fear or pride, and there's probably no stronger chain than pride, is uh, and that of course is, you know love me love my delusion, kind of approach to thing we used to call it love me love my goat, and uh, people identify with their ideas and and we see the same thing in religion uh the religionists you know you you got to belong to my church you got to you know you know meet at my bible study and you got to see this they have a checklist of doctrines that that you have to follow or uh, say you follow or say you accept and then you get to be one of us and then that gives them a sense of identity because they identify with the group and some are more lenient than others, but some are, you know, very exclusive. They get you doing crazy ritualistic things. Uh, and, but you don't think they're crazy. You think they're normal. Uh, and you think that, that this is worshiping God and we will dress up in these outfits and we will, you know, stand up, kneel down, uh, say these words in foreign languages and, and we do all this stuff and it makes us a part of something. And it gives us a sense of belonging and identity. But that's all part of the imprisoning process of any cult. And we have whole articles that show you how cults work. You know, we're called a cult. But we expose. We, we, we are actually the worst cult. <laughs> we're a cult. We're the, and I'm the worst cult leader there are because we're trying to help people develop an independence. And then, they can come together as a matter of choice to help other people. Not because there's any obligation. I could, if I had the conscience or the lack of conscience, I could probably run a good cult. I know, I know how it works. But my heart is so much against it. I, I mean, I just can't do it. So, and, and telling the truth to people, there's not much money in that. That's not a real popular thing. Now, I tell you, as the lie gets to be more prevalent, the truth will become more popular, but always amongst the minority. 
until the majority dies off. And that's coming too. But that's, you know, I don't, I, I hope we have more time than I think we have. Uh, I would desire more. I pray for more time than I think we have. But the reality is, is that you have to repent. You have to start thinking in a different way. You have to stop trying to save yourself. Start thinking about others. These gurus, these these clever guys, are taking people down roads and paths from which they often do not or cannot return, at least in this life. Because they they are very destructive ways. They squander the little time you have and you don't have a lot of time left. This has nothing to do with our, our personal repentance or virtue and is based on pointing out the secret conspiracy of other evil people rather than what we have done and have been a part of. That's what these guys almost always are doing. It's somebody else's fault. You know, in divorce cases, one of the biggest problem is whichever spouse we're dealing with is always want to point out what the other person's problems are. What, what they don't see. But the reality is it's, you can't do anything about what they don't see until you start seeing what you don't see. And see, that's what makes our message less popular, is the fact that we're trying to awaken you to the truth about yourself so that you can become a light to others. But most people don't like the light. They don't want to see the truth about themselves. They're, they're absolutely willing to see the truth about other people and how they're all screwed up or they're wrong and they're evil. But they don't want to see the truth about themselves. There's no value in being free if we do not use that freedom to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. If we do not use that freedom to love our neighbor as ourselves, to walk in the footsteps of Christ. If you just want to be free, so you got a place to, you know, uh, you know, ride your four-wheeler or, or, uh, speed down the road or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Not pay taxes. A lot of people don't want to pay taxes. They, I mean, that's the consequences of sin. Taxes are the consequences of sin. And they don't want to admit that they have any part in that. Uh, and the fact is, the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. And the kingdom of hell is from generation to generation. And so, if you don't count what your parents have done and accept the responsibility for that, which comes when you accept the responsibility for your parents, then you're you're not going to get out of the kingdom of hell or Babylon, nor are you going to get into the kingdom of heaven. So, you have to take all that into consideration as part of the whole truth. And see that. Now, there's a there's a phrase where they talk about our fathers have eaten sour grapes and turned our teeth on edge. and But they talk also about that proverb shall not be heard in the land anymore. So, yeah, you may be in bondage because of the action of your parents and your grandparents. Born into bondage. 
I mean, that's the way it was in Egypt. Egypt meant bondage. So, with that in mind, it says that that proverb would be heard no more. So, but in order to get to the place where that proverb proverb is heard no more, you have to do certain things. You have to take that in consideration. Which is, again, why you should be taking care of your parents rather than having the state take care of your parents. Most of you are incapable of doing that. And maybe your parents don't even want you to do that. Because you have to do what you can. We need to start getting serious about being doers of the word. Really serious about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If we're not going to seek His righteousness, we're not going to get there. We're not going to be free. And we should not be free because we're slothful in the ways of righteousness. Gathering together in righteousness of God and the love uh, and service and sacrifice of Christ. You know, so that we are, you know, they talk about love thy wife as Christ loved the church. Well, we have to love one another as Christ loved us. In order to make a success of our life. To set ourselves, to be set free by Christ. We have to do that. It's not about what you think, but about what you do. Because, I mean, Jesus said that. It's, it's, you have to be doers of the words. Not those who say, but those who do it. Now, that doesn't mean you earn it, but it means that you act upon that faith. So anyway, we're going to take an example. We actually have a whole list of uh, people that, uh, and I quote Proverbs 6 in this, Go to the ant, uh, thou sluggard, and thou slothful individual, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, no overseer, no ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, let a little slumber a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. In other words, you're going to be in a lot of trouble uh, eventually because of this uh, approach that people have about... uh, uh, Dealing with our present state or bondage in this world. We need to, uh, to look at this in a real hard way by looking at ourselves. But anyway, uh, you know, I've got an article up about, uh, Judge Anna, who also is known as, uh, Anna Maria Reitzinger. And, uh, uh, I mentioned a lot of other people like Richard Comforth and Carl Lentz and, uh, Payman Montehede and of uh, David Merrill, we already mentioned, Bob Schultz, uh, George Gordon, uh, Bob Holstrom, Bob, Bill Thornton, 
but we're going to look at uh, Mark Stevens, and he's kind of unique. He's a little bit different than a lot of these guys. Um, but all of them are missing something very important. All of them are falling short of what Christ told us to do, because Christ told you how to be free, how to be set free. Now, it's absolutely essential that you have to care about your neighbor as much as yourself. And you have to be willing to see the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth and provide for it. That's, that, that's, that's, it's like the guy who realized that his, he was better off in his father's house. But what happened if he decided that, but he never started heading back? To his father's house. He never turned around away from what he was doing and started heading back. Then his father would have never ran out to meet him halfway. Now he hadn't got back and done work for years to earn his father's favor. He was just heading back with the intention of being his servant in his father's house. That was his intention. And so his father runs out and meets him and accepts him and kills the fatted calf. And he hasn't even earned his coming back. And then his brother even complained about that. But if you just think you can change your thought or say you believe in Jesus, that's not going to cut it. You have to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to change your thinking and realize I can't just think I love Jesus. I have to act upon that love. So anyway, Mark Stevens, he's a kind of an interesting guy. Uh, and, and we talk about... Uh, all these guys, and this is where I quote that Declaration of Independence a little bit, or at least make reference to it. It says, some people feel it is necessary for them to dissolve the consequences of the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume the separate and equal station to which the law of nature and nature's gods entitles them. But they often do not want to dissolve the bands that connect them to the benefits of a political society. It's like Bill Thornton. He talks about, you know, establishing your own court and you go in and you're going to beat this, I guess, traffic ticket or speeding ticket or whatever it is. But he still wants to collect his Social Security and intends to do that because he separates you know, my his sovereignty, he believes in the common law and his personal sovereignty as the people. And he wants to separate that from what he's doing most of the time as a worker of iniquity. Coveting his neighbor's goods, the agency of a social estate. Well, you can't be a sovereign and a beneficiary of a social estate without at least coveting your neighbor's goods. And if you want to collect your Social Security, you're not only covering your neighbor's goods, but your neighbor's children and grandchildren's goods because you it's bankrupt and you have to take money from them in order to, you know, borrow money from against the future in order to get the money you want today. I mean, the, the government of every government's operating in the red now. They're not operating in the black. They're borrowing against the future, which is a violation of the Sabbath, which is about working six days and then taking your rest. But you want your rest, you want your benefit now, and you'll pay for it in the next six days or 60 days or 60 years and for the rest of your life. You see, that's a violation of the Sabbath. Everybody thinks it's Saturday or you count moons and all this kind of stuff. That's not Sabbath. 
I mean, it's fine to do that. I think you should get a day of rest. And then the first day of the week, you should go to church and start the work and make sure that the widows and orphans and needy of your society are taken care of because you love them. You love everybody in your society. And you want to take care of them in a way that strengthens them. But you should have your day of rest before that, which would be the Sabbath. And then the first day of the week would be when you meet in church. That's the But the convocation is the communion, the Eucharist of Christ, where you share your extra bread with those who don't have bread. And you do that not only for the people you congregate with, but the people that are far out in the network that you may not even know. And you also do it with the stranger in your midst because you want them to turn around and repent and come into the righteousness of Christ, which was taking care of one another through love. So anyway, Mark Stevens, he has kind of this, you know, and I like some of his approach because he has this you, you, this nonviolent uh, approach to anything where you just don't take things away from other people. And, uh, you know, although he doesn't really spell out exactly what that looks like all the time. I've tried to find out. I've done a lot of reading about his stuff. And I could have some things wrong, but I try to quote. I mean, it says his approach is not, quote, about the law or about using the legal system to win your case. I mean, that's a direct quote from his website. It, quote, is not that you will win, nor that you will get the law changed. The net result is often enough that you will embarrass them so badly that they will dismiss the case simply to get you to go away and stop embarrassing them in front of other victims who are easier to fleece. Unquote. Well, the reality is it's not always about embarrassment. It's just about, you know, hassle. You know, a judge can sit there and collect uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in penalties and fines every day. And this is good for business. And that's really what they're all about. Now, personally, they may be about subjugating people because they like to have people grovel before them and hold them up on a pedestal and think, oh, your honor, and your honor this and your honor that. And that's just personal vanity. And But that's a part of what you're going to run into in court. But the the reality is that if they got somebody who actually starts questioning jurisdiction and starts saying, I don't understand, and wants to say I'm at the court instead of in the court and you know all these little word games that they play I, I mean I've I've said this before I've been in courts for over 50 years because I as a as a child I was my dad took me into courtrooms and it's a word game place I mean word games is what they play there they want when the judge says he doesn't want word games he means I don't want your word games I want you to play my word games <laughs> That's what he's really saying. But anyway, the fact is, if all these courts went away, all these uh, cops went away, I'm not sure what Mark Stevens would do about the roving bands of marauders and murderers that would be out there stealing from everybody. Burning your house down, raping your wife and daughter and all this stuff. What's he going to do about that? He wants no state. This is a big thing with him. No state. But the fact is, you have a state no matter where you go. You, the the state is your state. 
It's your your status. That's the state you live in. Is what and that is created by what you do, and what you do is created by what you think. The truth is, once they know what you are up to when you go into court with this kind of an approach, uh, up to they they often move your case to the end of the docket. You're going to get called. You're going to be the last guy called sometime around noon. Uh, you're going to be called and sometimes even afternoon. Uh, but before golf. <laughs> and you'll spend all your time sitting there waiting for your case to be called. But they'll just push you to the back. Uh, because they're waiting for the courtroom to clear out. There won't be hardly anybody in the courtroom when you're there. And so if they want to take the time... They'll take the time and you'll end up suffering for it. Now, I'm not saying that some of these guys don't have some clever things and some point of interest. You know, they're out there doing battle. But is their solution really your salvation? Or is it going to get you into more and more trouble? I mean, they always have testimony about how this worked and that worked. And they consider a dismissal a win. And... uh but the reality is, what are you really trying to accomplish? I mean, is this all so that you can speed down the road and or go through stop signs and not get tickets? Is this so that you can get out of paying taxes or fees or tributes? Uh, what's your motivation here? Are, are you seeking righteousness? Are you seeking uh, something bigger than your personal convenience? What what's this all about? Why are you following people like Mark or uh, Larry? Is it Lutz? Uh, I, I mention all these different guys, uh, or Bill Thornton, or Bob Schultz, or any of these guys. Uh, why are you listening to them? What what are you trying to really accomplish? And and will following them actually accomplish that? Now we're, we're going to take a look at that. I don't know if we'll get to all of it this particular show, but we'll get it in the next one. You know, his website even says there is no winning. Ultimately, they have the guns and the cages and are perfectly willing to use them. We live in pretty good times. If you have total economic collapse, Mark Stevens is going to be in a lot of trouble. And people who follow Mark Stevens or Bob Schultz or... Certainly David Merrill or Carl Lentz, uh, any of these guys, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Because they will use their guns. They will use their cages. You need to have a spiritual power backing you. And what your intent is, which I just asked a few minutes ago, I want you to ask yourself, is going to determine whether or not you have the Spirit of Christ behind you. Or some other spirit that wants to see you destroyed behind you. Now, maybe you don't believe in this spiritual reality that surrounds us. Okay, well, I, you know, lots of luck. But anyway, Mark has authored a number of books. Uh, uh, he has the the Adventures in Legal Land, which I actually have a copy around here somewhere. I ought to look at it before I do the next program. And... Uh, uh, he also wrote another book, uh, Government Indicted. And, you know, Mark, uh, you know, he, he considered government to be gangs of killers 
and thieves and liars. He doesn't believe in private rights, uh, you know, natural rights. He considers the, the people who wrote the Constitution to be psychopaths. But yet, still he has some good points. And we'll, we'll take a look at that in the next show. And we'll take a look at what the real solution is. So join the network. Find out where the next show is going to be. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.